Hi, you're listening to Andrew Farris on NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B. Check it out. Hello, welcome to 2021, everybody. I guess people didn't expect that to be our welcome back song, did they, Bea? No, I love that song. Hey, good. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah, well, here's the irony. We put on Back in Black. We've got a bit of a theme tonight in case you've been living under a rock, but uh, the irony tonight is B and I, unplanned and unfettered, <laughs> have turned up to this podcast wearing black, just coincidentally... <laughs> Caps and top shirts and <laughs> and t-shirts, etc. There and black headphones. So it is a a well, it's a welcome back. It's a back in black tribute to NXS VACDC. Um, how was your Christmas? How's your New Year? Christmas and New Year and blimey, it's got, it feels such a long time ago already, doesn't it? it? Does, but it, it does. was good. It was very good. It, um, worked most of it. How about you? What did you do? Well, look, uh, I guess... Like you rested, a, didn't you, young man? Look, I probably put the headphones down, and I won't say put the feet up, but uh, tried to recharge the batteries. Um, bit of a tough year here in Victoria and in Australia with COVID and things, and I guess we, we extend our sympathies and our condolences to anyone around the world who lost a loved one last year with it or are enduring you know, another sort of uh, lockdown situation in your respective city and country because it's um, been a real pain in the butt, this COVID thing, hasn't it? Yeah, I put put my heart out to everybody as well. It's been a very sad time. And then we've just had Trump as well, haven't we? My goodness. <laughs> well, don't get Laurie started on Trump, okay? Because, uh, <laughs> Facebook will blow up. But, uh, uh, what I anyway, say, you what got I, a package today, didn't you? Well, I did. I, I, I actually had my cap arrived today, which says in excess access all areas with Hayden and B. So I felt pretty chuffed about that. I, I'm not wearing it because it won't sit on my head above my headphones and my <laughs> silly ponytail that I've tied back. But, look, I want to get right into this thing this year because uh, we've got so much to catch up on. And um, I guess just for the listeners who may not be aware, but I know last week, I think on Sunday, we actually had a, a Zoom chat via Nick and some of the, the patrons. B, do you want to share what went on with that? Yes, it was very Nick nice. Nick Egan. Yeah, well, I thought I'd let you have a little rest and I thought I'd take over, take the chair, take the headphones and uh, yeah, invited a few uh, patrons along, some new and some old. It was very exciting. I think there was about seven of us all together and Nick's such a great storyteller, really, really good and everybody really enjoyed it. So um, I think everyone can read about it on the Facebook page, um, all the little stories that he came out with of uh, Michael and um, John Taylor in Disneyland. I mean, that just conjures up yeah. a it's it? <laughs> Disneyland for a lot of ladies out there. And... <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> so look, look, Nick's. Go, we're probably going to be having what we call honorary patrons this year. Those who have given to the podcast uh, as guests and contributions, and I think we're going to make Nick our first honorary patron. Uh, there's a few I've, I've got in mind to come, but uh, Nick's been uh, fantastic for us and. I just think for those patrons, what I heard and just sense be from chatting to you is that just how much they enjoyed it. And mm. we had a couple of people only just recently joined. And next thing you know, they're chatting to V 
Dean Nick Egan. So yeah, they yeah, were very, they felt quite honoured. And um, it's a part one because there's actually some more. I think we went on for over two hours, so there was okay. only a forty minute segment there. So and then I played out with one of uh, Nick's songs because he was in a punk band called oh. the T Set. So okay. that was quite cool that we that found British, that huh? song. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's good. Now, uh, just straightening up a little bit, we uh, had our Christmas edition as our last episode and we know that it's steadily being downloaded. Some people were probably busy over the break, but uh, it was a bit of fun. It was a bit of a punchy episode, that one, where we were able to sort of share our uh, cool uh, Christmas songs and a couple of shtick, you know, um, less than likelies. Hello, Mariah. But uh, You upset with me popping in my little... Uh... Well, pretenders well B, there. B has the power of editing, so she snuck in her pretenders <laughs> one. But I, I do have a big apology to make for a lot of the Australian listeners Australian. to our podcast. And there is a, a very famous Australian Christmas song called How to Make Gravy by Paul Kelly. And I can let listeners know today there's a little nugget at the end of this podcast. So mm-hmm. uh, stay tuned. Also, too, it is going to be for ACD listeners, uh, listeners uh, who are tuning in to us for the first time, a homage to your band and uh, our band and these bands uh, where we sort of today talk a little about the respective careers and compare and contrast um, just their ascent to global domination and again we, we love ACDC uh, this is not ultimately a who's better than each other this is an in-excess podcast so you know where our allegiances lie <laughs> however um, just interesting they've had a new album come out it's sort of you know blown up in the charts and like everything it's you know been rolled out again it's getting a lot of airplay and just made me sort of think over the break, you know, the careers and the choices and the situations mm. and circumstances have been quite similar for the bands. Um, so we thought we'd flesh that out today and uh, just do a bit of a deep dive on that, be a bit later. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I really am because I've been reading up a little bit. So it'd be interesting to uh, hear what you've got to say about that. Absolutely. But before we get sort of into the teeth of things, we've got some patrons to welcome aboard. Uh, one thing we did want to mention is we have had a bit of an influx of one-off donation patrons, B, haven't we? Where some people have said, look, I don't really want direct debits and worry about that. Uh, but he's, you know, two years of membership or yeah. you know, big chunks of, you know, cash or whatever yeah. there. And we're very, very grateful for that. And at the end of Thank the day, you. Yeah. you know, that makes us, you know, be able to proceed forward with this, this endeavour. Yeah, B, I know we've had some more patrons join and we want to welcome those particular people. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside, it's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. Hello to Pedro, Lisa, Urban, Foxy, Felicia, Sarah, Laurie, Carmen, Sudi, Matt Dean, Joe Robbins, Mandy, Linda, Danielle, Dr. Jim, Amanda, Leon, Anne-Marie, Lisa Calloway, Lisa McIntosh, Kathy, Carrie-Anne, Virginia, Vern, Caroline, Paul Jolie, Joseph, Susan, David, Sandrine, Tracy and Paul Boozy. Hi and welcome. And now it's time for the news. Hi, it's Carmen here from Wollongong, Australia. You're listening to the world's first in excess podcast, in excess access all areas, and now it's time for the news. Well, B, it feels like uh, almost like two, three weeks, probably since we last recorded. So there's been a bit of a, a, a plethora of news, uh, chock oh, full of news. But yes. as we do, we do start off with the charts. And I think some three weeks ago, we were um, a little bit uh, miffed how uh, the best of or the greatest hits or whatever you want to call it had moved out of the, the top 50. Well, 
as I think I said in our last episode, it did come back in at 44 before Christmas. Mm-hmm. But then the following week, just on that Christmas week, we hit number 40. Yeah. And now, like a week later, it's gone climb 10 more positions to number 30. <gasps> so I think a few Santa stockings have been uh, added so to. Too. That's so pretty good. This is this is like the Terminator. It can't be killed. This album it defines <laughs> life, and there's red piercing eyes everywhere. Uh, so so we uh, we are very enthusiastic uh, about that, and hopefully uh, it's a sign of things to come. But keep um, mine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Also, too, we want to give uh, a little bit of news. Uh, we do have a guest who will be coming up, I'm sure, in the next few weeks, but uh, uh, we do want to do a bit of a shout-out, and it's, and it's quite topical today with uh, the ACDC factor, but uh, we did get a very, very nice tweet from uh, Mark Opitz, who's a, a regular listener to the show, and uh, he said some very kind words. We won't uh, self-grandiose uh, or grandiose, but uh, we go just on, want to say... Go on, go on. Nah, we'll just say thank you. <laughs> Okay, I think I've already put it out of my Facebook feed. So <laughs> I've been indulgent enough, but yeah, I can't um, believe you didn't tag me in on that. I don't even you know. What, what do you, people talk about this tag. I don't even know what that means. So, Jeez. I, there I was scrolling through and went, "All right, yeah, okay, okay." Who's so your we, co-host? So, so, so <laughs> I, I use the word "we, we, us, us, us." We, but, we, we, and you're we. on my Facebook feed. So, so what? Do you, what does the tag thing mean? What do I? What does that do? <laughs> so I'll, I'll teach you later. All right, okay. We'll take that offline. Um, also, too, I think before Christmas, for those also uh, with Andrew Farris releasing a lot of new material last year, he did release a, a new video for my brother, which sort of came out. So uh, you can go on to Google or YouTube or whatever and find that. But uh, it was, I think that it said the last video release of the year, I think the EP, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is a video attached to that. And yeah, I know right. the first two sort of videos were very country tinged mm-hmm. uh, with lots of horses and outbacks and things like that. But uh mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that uh, people can go and check out. Also, thanks to those who over Christmas uh, posted a couple of in excess anecdotes. Uh, uh, the New Year's Eve countdown in Sydney, B. Did you uh, get a chance to see that? What happened when it hit 12 oh, 120011 one second, whatever. Yeah, there in the I found the video and I've posted yep. it to our Facebook page. It's fantastic. Yeah. Whoa, straight away. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, again, in Australia, proud. In, in, in Australia, we have uh, a massive New Year's Eve celebration with, with the Sydney Harbour Bridge and uh, and all the fireworks, etc. there. So, the 12 inch version of uh, New Sensation. Uh, was the starting song as the fireworks kicked in in the new year. And uh, I think it might have been Carmen who posted that initially. Uh, it was on one of the TV shows and then B's put it up as well. But gives you a bit of tingle up the spine, doesn't it, B? Doesn't off. Is it? Yes, <laughs> baby love. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, so, fantastic, yeah. So that, that was uh, given a good run. Um, mm-hmm. Also, too, I want to use the new section just to highlight a, a couple of uh, new sites within the NXS sort of community. I know I gave David Gaunt a bit of a plug for the uh, the new In Search of NXS of the Collectors. Failed to mention that also but. Pedro was a co-author <laughs> and a co-creator of that. And like always, Pedro, the auditor from, uh, and, and again, I keep saying Lisbon. He's not from Lisbon, Portugal. He's, he's, he's in a rival town. Uh, so even though I get that wrong when I'm trying to make appeasement with him, but uh, it is a co-initiative between Pedro and David, and I know they're getting some traction, and, and there's lots yeah. of cool little uh, fan items if you do want to collect or swap and sell. And uh, also, too, I joined one the other day. It's only very, very new. It's called One of My Kind by a regular listener called uh, uh, Rosanda Pazat, probably pronouncing that wrong, but she's a very regular listener and a very good contributor to all of our sites and podcasts and things. So she's got a fan page going, and uh, the more fan pages out there from NXS, the the better 
uh, we see it being because it just yeah. spreads the love, spreads the word. I reckon that's number 55. <laughs> and look, and the last one we just want to do, look, again, we want to give sort of some respect to a person who was associated with the band for a long time, a guy called Bruce Patron, uh, who unfortunately passed. He was the sort of the touring manager doing a lot of the stuff in America, I think, and a lot of the, the major in excess tours back in sort of the 80s and 90s. And unfortunately, he passed away with uh, cancer sort of around the Christmas period, which is obviously very sad. So valet to those uh, associated with him. Uh, and those family members around him. Interesting surname, I guess, B, isn't it? Like to be involved with touring or whatever and your surname is patron. Yeah, very. Yeah. There was a lovely tweet from the official In Excess yeah. page that I did repost. Did you see that? I did see that. Yeah, yeah it was very, very nice. And, and they called like him that. one of their brothers. Yeah, yeah. it's quite sweet. And yeah. I remember in the 80s and 90s seeing sort of video footage of him around the kick time and the X time and mm. he was sort of... Uh, you know, pretty full, full on and hands on with the tour and things. And uh, yeah, look, it's um, it's unfortunate that these things happen. But I know he made a, a big contribution to the touring side for the band, and, and I'm sure they, as I said, through the the tweet and 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 the uh, message, uh, feel the same way. So yeah, well, I spoke to I spoke to Gary Lilly about him actually, and because he says, yeah, I get <laughs> we gave him a run around. <laughs> 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 okay. Well, look again. Uh, kudos. Hey, this is Tim Ferriss, and you're listening to Access All Areas with Hayden and B. <laughs> and now for topic of the week.
in excess versus ACDC or versus in excess, depending which persuasion you are. But this is going to be an interesting deep dive today. Um, did you like my mashup? <laughs> I did, and I hope the fans did. We've got sort of that back in black versus what you need. Oh. They're sort of going at it, aren't they, in that mashup? <laughs> yeah, it was good. <laughs> I love doing that. <laughs> yeah. Now, as I said, you know, welcome to some of the ACDC fans out there, and we hope that, you know, you enjoy some of the content we go through. And, um, you know, we will, I guess, for some of those who aren't as versed on the band, uh, talk a little bit of background about ACDC and, you know, just compare it to the NXS sort of trajectory. And uh, I guess to sort of k- kick things off a little bit, what's probably coincidental is that, you know, both bands really emanated out of Sydney in the sort of the pub rock sort of scene. And ACDC probably got a bit of a head start in terms of sort of getting together around about 1973 where those who don't know um you know malcolm and uh angus were the younger brothers of george young okay and that uh, particular gentleman was a guy who ran uh the band the easy beats uh, with harry vander and wrote some of the most um timeless oh, sort of uh, anthems angus and malcolm the little brothers of george uh, and if you think about a parents, you know, or a lineage, you know, having a uh, two sons who go on to create ACDC and a son who created the Easy Beats, I mean, wow, you know, um, some absolute sort of genius genes there. Australia, literally from Scotland when they were very young, and uh, they stayed in the migrant uh, facility in Villawood up in Sydney, and it's where uh, I guess uh, you know little Stevie, uh, or Stevie, I should say Stevie Young, uh, Stevie Wright, I should say, uh, from the Easy Beats uh, met uh, George, and that band got sort of formed. I guess older brother George had a big hand in sort of helping sort of pave the way for, for Angus and Malcolm to get their albums produced and get them going. And and again, they, they were probably a band that sort of headed to Melbourne and suddenly built a, a quite a good touring and, and, and following sort of down here. And as with In Excess, you know, they were a band similarly who came out of sort of that Sydney sort of scene, albeit three or four years later, who also came to Melbourne and then sort of relentlessly toured like ACDC uh, around Australia and uh, successfully did so. And uh, Mark Opitz, who we spoke a little bit about earlier, was one of the guys who first produced ACDC uh, on the Power Age album, which uh, still for many fans is one of the favourites. He went on obviously to get involved with NXS. So there's a lot of sort of lineage and comparisons and contrasts, you know, throughout the, the, the band's sort of careers. But um, there are some real sort of similarities and coincidences uh, about their careers, B. Mm. Now, for you, I was going to ask mm. you, ACDC <laughs> went overseas like in excess, but they didn't go to America straight away. They went to the UK yes. and uh, in excess sort of went to America. But as a younger girl in the UK, you had a few interesting experiences when you first became aware of ACDC. So please mm. share. <laughs> so what, what year did they come over? Uh, I think it was towards sort of the uh, 77, 78, 79. Oh, I think okay. it was probably around that time, uh, right. that late 70s period. They'd sort of dominated in Australia and they went to sort of the UK around, around well, around that punk time that was happening and 
they really weren't a punk band, but they just were just a, he- a heavy rock band. And they've never okay. seen themselves as a metal band, but it was yeah. that late, late 70s period they sort of went there. Okay, so I'm thinking probably 83, yep. something like that, 83. Yep. Um, so it'd be 16-ish. Yep. Um, and I remember leaving school and um, for some reason I just liked – I liked motorbikes. <laughs> I, well, I've always been partial to long hair. <laughs> I'm not going to admit so, you were a bikey chick, are you, B? I was, just for like one summer. <laughs> right. I've tried everything. Anyway, so, yeah, I decided to um, hang out with bikers. Okay. And um, they were only young. <laughs> right. Are we talking push bikers or are we talking motorbikers? There's quite a few stories, actually. But um, let's, just co- let's just concentrate on this one. So I remember... I remember going on the back of the bikes and we went to this um, big, well, there was a couple of nights actually, this one nightclub and um, all these, they were all there in their leathers and everything. And uh, <laughs> it's just, it was just like, I felt so girly. I never felt so girly in my life. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I'm there on the dance floor. I'm trying to get into this music and you've got to rock your head quite a lot and you're getting neck ache. And next minute, the pyrotechnics went right. up. I was going to die. Oh, my God. The um, <laughs> It was fireworks in this nightclub. How did they get away with fireworks in a nightclub? I don't know. I had a heart attack. I like and like, I look around and all these old bikers are laughing their asses off at me. Right. And then there was another night I remember listening to ACDC and I just thought, oh my God, I can't, I can't do this. And I went upstairs and um, there was like, um, <laughs> there was um, a transvestite night going on upstairs. Right. And I remember the girls' toilets were full of men as well, but they were boys, girl boys. And I just remember, yeah, I'm 16. I'm very open to all of this all of a sudden. <laughs> Okay. Well, look, it's interesting. You know, I mean, I, it, it, it really sort of sets up this topic really nicely, those anecdotes, because, you know, th- there are two successful bands who have gone on to have international success. Um, look, the album sales of, of, of ACDC probably dwarf what In Excess did, but, you know, the singles and the hits and, and the uh, the top 40 sort of results of, of In Excess globally probably dwarf what ACDC did. And um, I saw an interesting sort of interview recently with Bon Scott. Um, well, a, a recent interview I had come, come across yeah. in my sort of inbox, but it was obviously done back when Bon was alive. And he was really, really big about ACDC being an albums band. We don't put out sort of mm. singles and we just put out albums and uh, we want people to buy the albums, listen to the complete thing. And I think Inexcess, you know, have that had that mentality too. But um, ACDC came about probably five, six years before MTV really blew up. Yeah. And it wasn't, they weren't the big video singles type band to get your sort of uh, advertorial out there. Interestingly, you know, ACDC, as you alluded to, they, they, they probably have a certain fan base that really appeals, but it's different to Inexcess's fan base. Um, <laughs> Just had a biker go past while we were recording, didn't we, B? And I think uh, it could be an ACDC fan. Okay. No, B can't jump on the back. Sorry. Busy. <laughs> 
be suddenly fired up and got excited. Oh, this is a bike there. I could jump on the back. Anyway, um, but yeah. So so and when I look at the sort of the listening audience there, you know, ACDC probably appeal to that sort of the male dominated type of audience and their concerts and the sales or whatever. I'm not saying it's totally hundred percent that way, but. It's probably a 70-30 audience. And I'd probably think from NXS's point of view, it's probably a 40%, 60% sort of uh, male-female audience. I think there's probably a slightly higher female fan of NXS than there is a male fan. And that's there's no science or uh, no logic to it, but anecdotally, I always sort of sense that. So yeah. you've got these sort of two different bands that appeal you're, to you're sort totally of you know, right. you know, different audiences. And, and, and you can, but, you know, ACDC have probably had one major sort of you know, trick if I could sort of, you know, not be glib about it, but they've sort of milked one particular style that's gone a long way and, and, and done unbelievably well with that. I guess, you know, we look forward to sort of diving deep with a couple of sort of little uh, topics within the topic we're going to sort of explore and just compare the band. So uh, looking forward to getting to those now, B. Okay, let's go. So let's really get into this topic today, B. Uh, we're going to be sort of comparing and contrasting, I guess, uh, these two iconic bands, as we sort of alluded to just before, uh, out of Sydney. And there's a lot of similarities when we actually just go back and look at their their climb. Yeah, there is. I noticed that. I, know, I didn't realise until we started this that there was so many similarities, actually. Yeah, and look, Australia being, mm. uh, you know, a smaller country and the industry probably being a smaller industry than sort of overseas, some of their people they work with and, and you know, were influenced by and uh, mm. were produced by around that time, you know, going to cross over. Just starting off with number one, ACDC were discovered sort of by a guy called Michael Browning. Uh, and I think between 1974 and 79, especially in their Australian and, and UK sort of surge, Michael was quite sort of uh, intrinsic to sort of ACDC. And I know he unfortunately got sacked by the band. Really? <laughs> uh, yeah, 979, just as sort of Highway to Hell was sort of being, uh, I guess, uh, was ta- taking off in America. But, uh, you know, not long after that, you know, Michael's uh, set up the Deluxe label, which uh, for our NXS audience out there would know uh, was the label that hosted uh, the first two albums for NXS, which was their self-titled album and also Underneath the Colours. I guess with Michael, who, you know, had, has had quite an extensive sort of career uh, with those two bands and also post those two bands, uh, he's a sort of common sort of starting point um, where where the bands, you know, have some sort of uh, sort of nexus between the two of them. Oh, so um, what's the juicy gossip? Why did he leave? Uh, well, I think did some sort of research and digging. I think, you know, the, the band were very ambitious and I'll sort of allude to the similarities there a little bit later, but as they were going global, et cetera, they're, you know, Angus and uh, Malcolm, who were the real sort of uh, brains trust and push behind the band, 
were really wanting everybody on board at absolutely sort of nth degree. And um, they were very quick at hiring and firing, I think, is probably one of the right. things in the ACDC canon. Okay. You know, they don't suffer fools. So, yeah, they just went to bigger and better things globally and probably got management that took them into some some bigger markets overseas. Mm-hmm. Right, okay. Yeah. Um, second thing, I guess, uh, which sort of links the bands a bit is just the element of family. Mm. We all know uh, within excess it's three brothers and uh, I guess even the parents of the Ferris brothers had an influence on Michael and Kirk and, and, and Gary. Um, with ACDC, I mean, everybody knows that Malcolm, who's dearly departed, unfortunately, and uh, Angus were the two brothers in the band. But, um, you know, s- some of the more learned fans out there know that the older brother, George, who created the Easy Beats, was a, a cornerstone on a lot of the production of the band and uh, getting them on the Albert sort of record label in the early days. So I guess older brother George and family, pay- I think, paved a big way in terms of uh, influencing ACDC and you know, the Easy Beats had a template that I guess the younger brothers could follow and they looked up to to uh, George. And I guess within In Excess, you know, the three brothers there really mm. probably helped retain each other in some ways. Mm. Tim was sort of the the big brother, sort of, you know, the the leader of the band and Andrew was the creative force and, and John was the, the the youngster with all the, the talent in the world coming through. So family sometimes be can have a really big effect in the success of a band, can't it? Mm, mm, mm. Also, when you were talking then about the, the guitarists being, um, you know, the, the pinnacle points of uh, like the rhythm and the lead guitarist um, in Akadaka, yep. and then you've got Tim and um, Kirk as well, and then they were the beginning, weren't they? You know, yeah. they, they decided. So it's funny that it should be the same instruments that are, yeah. part of the band that's driven them all both forward. Well, I think a lot of the songwriting, you know, especially in rock bands, starts with a guitar, you know, that that sort of instrument there. And I think Angus and Malcolm just, through probably being inspired by George, never put down a guitar, you know, in the yeah. early days. I just, I think you could just see Angus practising every day. He just loves yeah. it, you know, he yeah. still does. Yeah. And then they've brought in another family member just recently. Is well, that right? they did. Uh, George's son, uh, who I believe took over from Malcolm on sort of the guitar sort of duties there, uh, Stevie, uh, obviously he's a nephew of Malcolm and um, Angus. He's really came in to sort of replace, I guess, Malcolm, you know, after he passed, especially on their last tour or last couple of tours. Um, That's special, and, isn't it? That's yeah. really special to do that. Well, yeah. it'd be pretty exciting growing up as a sort of a family yeah. member and then suddenly you're playing with ACDC. Yeah. But they're, they're very, very familial in that sense. You know, family was a big thing with ACDC and, you know, if you're in their tent, I, I guess, you know, you were family in some extended sense, not just blood, but, you know, if you're in their tent and even within In Excess, they sort of had a very, you know, you know, when I say a tent, a, a sort of a, a a small sort of group of insiders that sort of were with them the whole way. And mm-hmm. I guess it starts with family and they create that sort of family sort of juggernaut within. And um, and sometimes family doesn't work in, in, in business and sport and in music. I mean, we don't have to look at the Gallagher brothers in Oasis, you wow. know. <laughs> As an example of... Uh, Please, you know, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, even Credence Clearwater, I think, you know, they've been in lawsuits against each other. It's actually yeah. there might be a brother network in that. And, you know, there's been very famous artists over the journey of suit each other and they're actually family. And sometimes family can drive you apart. But I, I think in these bands, for Excess and ACDC, it was actually definitely a strength. Very much so. A very big strength. Like the Bee Gees. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, well, (laughs) it was, you know. Yeah. Even to the extent when Andy was out releasing solo stuff, you know, he had older brother Barry producing and helping write stuff for him, so uh, 100%. 
Also, uh, I guess, you know, in terms of their ascent, it's, it's, it's quite similar. You know, they started in Australia in the Sydney, you know, in the 70s. And uh, I guess they, they did sort of dominate here to a point where they, they realised the market was relatively small. And, and for it to, to be something meaningful and long term, uh, both bands went overseas uh, at quite early stages in their career around their sort of their third album and things like that. I guess Michael Browning pushed the, the band with probably their Scottish sort of UK heritage to go into the UK and maybe it was easier on visas and, and heritage and things. Whereas in excess, you know, went over to the big festivals, you know, in, in, in uh, California, toured obviously, you know, Shibusha Bar around America. But I think both bands, you know, displayed uh, a distinct level of ambition um, I think when you look back at some of ACDC's, um, you know, interviews and, 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 and bios and things, they wanted to be the biggest band in the world. And as, as Kirk often said, we want to take this as far as we can. You know, we want to become the biggest band we can be and be the best we can be. And I think, you know, sometimes when you look at music, look at artists, sometimes some artists just settle and go, well, you know, it's not saying family's more important or less important or whatever, but it was a sacrifice, I'm sure, for, for the ACDC members who had young families and Tim who had a young family to, to go overseas. And you do give up something. You know, anytime you leave your country and go start again, you give up something. Mm-hmm. And I think both bands are to be commended based on just, you know, combining skill, execution, but more importantly, the hard work and the ambition to want to go and make it work. That's right. Yeah. Also, I guess in the early days, I know uh, Mark Opitz, who, you know, will uh, hopefully come on our show soon and a friend of the program. I think uh, so. Hopefully we can make him an honorary, uh, an honorary <laughs> patron. Um, but, but Mark, um, you know, had some involved through Alberts and through working with the Angels and through that particular uh, musical label to to work with uh, with ACDC. And I look forward to sort of just talking to him a bit about that, whether it was in sort of more production duties or engineering. But I know obviously through George, you know, and Harry Vander, uh, Mark himself, you know, really, I guess, got that apprenticeship, you know, through uh, working uh, with the Alberts Group and working with ACDC. Uh, so much so that uh, he didn't get a paycheck for the first 10 weeks because he thought it was work experience, okay? Oh. <laughs> and, and it was only when uh, George found out, he put a, a memo upstairs, said, look, you got to get this guy paid because he actually hasn't been paid yet. Oh, how humble <laughs> is that? I know. But, <laughs> the but, work experience. But I think Mark, Mark sold a very famous, uh, this is, again, something else that crosses over the two. Mark sold, I think, a very famous... Uh, I don't know if it's a Stratocaster or a Fender. It was a, it was an old guitar that was one of his favourites uh, to afford to be able to go to work and work with ACDC and, and Alberts. But later on, Andrew Ferris uh, went and bought him that well, oh, similar uh, guitar oh, back. Similar. Okay. Uh, well, it was the same. It wasn't the same guitar. It was the same brand, the same yeah, guitar. Yeah, that's that's sweet. Yeah. So a uh, little bit of a, another connection or nexus there as well. Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, further, further going forward, I guess you know back catalogs as as both bands started to to emerge, and uh, probably with ACDC, you know the Back in Black album probably before that Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell was where you know Bon and and that broken really America with I think um, the album going sort of number seventeen, but it sold seven million copies there over the sort of the journey with that particular back catalog. What had occurred with Back in Black and things like that was that. 
actual sort of fans went back and suddenly discovered a lot of the Australian releases. So for those who don't know with AC, ACDC, a bit like in excess, the first couple of albums were, were locally sort of produced here and made here, but weren't internationally released till later on. So uh, I think the first couple of albums for those hardcore, uh, well, hardcore ACDC fans was High Voltage and TNT uh, and then Dirty Deeds. And a lot of these weren't really even released internationally to a later stage. But um, it so happened that Dirty Deeds eventually went to number three in the charts in America some five years later after it was released, probably on the back of Back in Black. And as a lot of our In Excess fans would know uh, on this particular podcast, that the swing went platinum after kick. So it's interesting when an album breaks through or a band breaks through, you do get a lot of good fans and art fans go back and discover the catalogue. And I think uh, both In Excess and ACDC had an Australian successful career and then fans, you know, gradually over time went back and discovered it. And we've sort of learned that through the podcast, but haven't we? You know, fans yeah. go, oh, I love the swing or I didn't really know that when I was 12 or 14, but I went back and listened. It's now one of my favourites. Yeah, it's Carmen's favourite, isn't it? Yeah. And I think even for you, you know, coming to Australia, I mean, you were as listening like Thieves Girl when you first discovered them, but mm. you've gone back, I guess, as a fan over time and sort of... Back you know, and forward <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and deep diving. <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. Okay, uh, moving along, I guess on a sad note, you know, both bands unfortunately lost their lead singers and it's probably the most compelling sort of... Uh, you know, similarity that they went through. I guess uh, ACDC fans with Bon Scott, the band themselves were probably coming through pre-MTV. And it's fair to say probably the American audiences where, you know, Back in Black took off weren't really, and back in that era in the late 70s, early 80s, it was really about airplay. It wasn't about visuals. So the notion of a front man being sort of that centrepiece was, you know, to sell records was probably less important. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they'd sold, you know, went on to sell, I think, 7 million of, of Highway to Hell over the last sort of 40 years. But they lost their lead singer when they were on the verge of international stardom. And In Excess lost their lead singer when they were probably on the tail end of international stardom. Yeah, yeah. So it's interesting when, you know, uh, I was able to cross paths at a, a function a few years ago with Michael Gadinsky, and we talked a bit about uh, ACDC. Now, Michael Gadinsky runs Mushroom Records here in Australia probably been the most influential guy in music in this country uh, in terms of, uh, you know, concerts and signing artists and, and, and music releases. But, you know, he was sort of like, oh, Enix should have done this particular thing. And I'd had a few drinks. So I can't even quite remember <laughs> the context. And he'd had a few drinks. So he was he was speaking from the heart. But it was just interesting about losing singers. And I just said to him, I said, well, look, I think, you know, the difference is, is that they lost Bon at a point where their international success was about to start. And they weren't sort of one of those bands that were, you know, MTV-esque at that time because it wasn't around. And when they went, that they, and they had the tunes and they had the songs for Back in Black sort of almost ready to go. When they brought in the new singer, Brian Johnson, it was probably a similar sort of sonic vocal sound. Mm. And I reckon half the, the fans probably globally didn't even know the difference at the time. The hardcore ones would, but because it wasn't I, about videos and whatever there, yeah. they were probably fortunate that, you know, them being an albums band and not a singles or a videos release band, they were able to sort of, I guess, keep the momentum going. Yeah, seamlessly went through, didn't it? I had no idea. I thought it was the same guy. No, well, a lot of people sort of are aware of it. Obviously, I do now. And as a kid, I remember sort of listening to Bon Scott stuff and then the next stuff, and I was just like, it all sounds pretty similar. Similar. Yeah, and the the sounds of ACDC are very driven by Angus and Malcolm and and the drumming, et cetera, by, you know, Phil Rudd and... 
I, I guess all of all of the the sort of uh, stuff that went through for ACDC was it, it was only about like eight weeks between you know Bond dying and I think about really? you know uh, and, and this is again Tim Ferriss he asked Angus he said oh how long did it take you know you to get over Bond and move on he goes ah oh, probably about you know eight weeks you know <laughs> Angus talked a bit like this <laughs> oh, about eight weeks we then went back here I thought oh I got these songs we might as well have a go got nothing else to do <laughs> you know and this is when in excess of about eight years after Michael had passed you know and they hadn't done anything so they both went through that era where one had lost a singer on the cusp of start and one had lost one at the end and I think within excess, not having that second superstar in the band that necessarily was the Angus or the the, the Malcolm uh, figurehead behind the lead singers, you know, meant that it was harder for them to go on. And and just the point of in excess's career in '97, mm. Mike was such a central force. It was such a visual band. Um, it made it hard for them to really recover from that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not All so right. deep either, I would say. Pardon. I just find like, you know, with In Excess's lyrics and how deep they are with their lyrics and their fandom and everything, that they're, they're, they're a deeper level than ACDC. ACDC well, are a bit more like, in the, in the get out there like. and <laughs> party and just like, you know, bang your head. Whereas In Excess is just, just a little bit deeper. Look, I, I, wait, you want to get my differences, B. I'm going to throw a few at you that are going to probably be up on that wavelength. But, um, yeah. over the bands and sort of link them together a little bit is the song Good Times, a Mark Opitz production, a George Young uh, written song that, you know, George is the older brother of, of Angus and Malcolm, as we keep saying. And it was an excess cover song that sort of did very well internationally and in Australia. So I do know that uh, the Young Brothers and both George thought it was the best cover of any of the Easy Beat songs they'd ever heard when he heard the In Excess version and let Mark tellingly in an anecdote that I'll let Mark share with us. But yeah, I think it was sort of something there that, again, I think Michael himself was really tickled pink to do that song. I think there's the the singlet of him wearing ACDC and was a bit of a fan of theirs on that yeah. promo for this podcast. Yeah. Um, I think we all grow up with that sort of sense of a connection with ACDC and we're very proud of them. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, I guess they, they, they helped In Excess in a way by paving a way to go overseas and, and show that it could be done. Mm-hmm. I actually edited it in just a few minutes ago. Yeah. Um, the the um, Easy Beat song. I quite okay. like it actually. Ah. He's got a great voice. Very good, very good. Well, it's uh, it's actually Stevie uh, Wright who's the singer for them. Uh, mm. But uh, again, uh, the Young Brothers went on. Uh, uh, sorry, George himself and Harry went on to support Stevie post uh, the Easy Beats and a lot of the, the music he released. <laughs> Oh, you 
you allude to a couple of things before, which we will get into. There are some distinctive uh, differences with these bands. And uh, where they're good, bad and ugly, it gets back to your subjectivity and what you like. So uh, we will share some of our thoughts. But um, I guess, you know, on the more serious ones to start with, um, if I'd have compared sort of the successes of them, ACDC have sold over 200 million albums. Well, um, which is which is you know kudos to them. I think they are something like the the third highest selling sort of act of all time, and uh, um, actually might have been the top fifteen selling acts of all time, but the top three in America or something ridiculous. Like they've done unbelievable album sales. I know Bon Scott has said previously he really does champion the cause of being an albums band, not a singles band. You know during mm-hmm. their heyday and things. Um, and again, as reflective of the period they're in. You know it was about getting you know your albums out and. You know, radio would just pick songs at any time off albums and gave them sort of airplay. It wasn't about singles and videos and $100,000 film clips and things like that. So ACDC really were part of that era where it was about the album, you know. Think of other bands of that era around that time, Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. um, even the Stones in the 70s there, uh, bands like Yes. You know, there was sort of these bands in the 70s that were, you know, Chicago that was all about the album as opposed yeah. to the singles. Mm-hmm. Having said that, you know, looking through their lineage, I've done a little bit of research, which hopefully our ACDC listeners are excited about. But looking at the results of some of these albums, if I if I talk probably going back to their early stuff that was eventually released, I think High Voltage eventually got released overseas in America. I think it hit 146 uh, TNT released eventually that sort of didn't sort of trouble the charts too much. Uh, Dirty Deeds eventually made number three. Let There Be Rock, 154. Power Age, 133. Then finally, they broke through with Highway to Hell, which hit number 17, which was right on that era where, unfortunately, Bond passed away. They then came back with Back in Black, the soundtrack to this podcast, which sold over 50 million copies worldwide, B. So an absolute juggernaut. But here's the thing, right? It didn't even make number one in America, selling 50 million copies. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Because they didn't tour America. No, not at all. Not at all. It's just back in the day, there were other albums that were in the number one or two or three spot, but this album stayed in the charts for years, years and years. It was just a constant seller every year. It still sells. Uh, Okay. So uh, Kick only made number three in America, but it sold nearly 10 million. So you didn't have to be number one in those days to still sell a lot. It's just about the depth and the longevity of it being in the charts. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like what NXS are experiencing with the very best of in Australia. It's been in the charts yeah. for six years. Yeah. Um, yeah, hit number one when the miniseries was on. But, you know, outside that, it's just been a steady seller. They then came back for those about to rock We Salute You, which hit number one on the back of probably Back in Black. Then they had a bit of a wilderness period. They had Flick of the Switch, number 15. I think they had Fly uh, on the Wall, 32. Blow Up Video, number 12. Then they came back with a little bit of a juggernaut, which was that uh, Thunderstruck song off the Razor's Edge. And that album hit number two in America. So it was quite a sort of a probably 10 years really of middling results. They then had Ball Breaker five years later in 95, hit number four. Stiff Upper Lip five years later in the year 2000, I think hit number uh, number seven. Then they had eight years away and they came back with Black Ice and they won their first Grammys and hit number one again. Then they had what year was that? 2008. Okay. 2008. Then they had uh, Rock or uh, Rock or Bust in uh, 2014, number three. And now they've just had a new album come out where it's number one in America called The Power Up. Oh. So in terms of sort of albums, et cetera, there, they've been a pretty much a big albums juggernaut band. Mm. And look, In Excess have had a lot of top 10 albums and things like that. But the slight difference in terms of just comparing them is that In Excess have had 18 top hits in the top 100. They've had six, seven top 10s. You know, uh, they've had four or five top three songs and number one. 
what you might not know, if, and I'll throw it out to you, B. Oh, here we what, go. What do you think is the most popular ACDC hit in America? Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell? I'll give you yeah. another chance. Thunderstrike. Thunderstrike, <laughs> okay. I'm going I'm, I'm to appeal to your bikey days. <laughs> well, this is going to throw people, like, I, I reckon I could ask ACD, well, hardcore fans would not, but you could ask the average guy in the street. I reckon they'd say you shook me all night, all night long. Now, here's the irony, right? Their top hit in America is a song called Money Talks off the oh. uh, Razorback Thunderstruck album. Sorry, Razor's Edge, I should say. Number 23. Yeah, and that's their highest hit ever in America. No, so, 23. So a band who sold, like, you know, uh, more albums in America than nearly anyone, and their best hit in America as a single is number 23. So it probably just showcases. Just shows, yeah. Yeah, that they were just, like, albums. We don't care about singles. We don't care about like, singles, yeah. No. Their second hit in America was Shook Me All Night, Night Long in terms of height, heights in the charts, number 35. Back in Black, number 37. There's a song called Let's Get It Up, 44. <laughs> okay. Okay, it's a Marvin Gaye tribute. Okay, uh, that's Let's Get It On, isn't it? Okay, uh, number 47, Highway to Hell. Uh, we've got number 65, Big Gun. I think that was a song off the Last Action Hero soundtrack. Uh, sorry, 84, uh, Guns for Hire that was one of their other hits. So they've had like seven songs in the top 100, but uh, In Excess have had 18. A bit of a difference there. I think In Excess, you know, I don't think aimed to be a singles band, but in terms of, you know, the way it was in sort of 82 through to sort of onwards, MTV was a big sort of uh, player in get a song out, get it promoted, release singles, use them as sort of advertorials for albums. I think Michael Jackson had a big influence around that time about the video and the singles and use them to sort of, you know, kickstart your album. So I think the industry sort of went that particular way. Yeah. So bands like, you know, U2 and The Cure and R.E.M. suddenly became part of that era where you had to have a single out, you had to promote your album, have videos. Mm -hmm. So it's probably why, you know, the industry changed a little bit. Yeah. And it's probably why, you know, ACDC, had seven or eight or nine years there, but not much went on. They came back in 1990 with uh, Thunderstruck, and I think they filmed that uh, in the UK, uh, and it was a bit of a homage to the uh, Mad Max 3 Beyond Thunderdome sort of film clip where they're all uh, up, in the, uh, up in the sort of bleachers there, sort of looking down on the stage. Uh, great film clip. And you got mm-hmm. Angus, you know, doing the Chuck Berry across the stage with the, uh, the, the lit-up tile flooring. Hey, guess what? I just had a text. Oh, I asked a question. I had a question. <laughs> I text, I text Mr. Opitz, who I'm going to call him. He's responded. Oh, I did a on. little bit of engineering on Let There Be Rock, fully engineered Power Rage, and mixing on the live album. If you want blood, you got it. By the way, I have to postpone my Melbourne trip. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. wanted, I, I wanted to just clarify just the the, the things you did with ACDC. So there you go. It's off the horse's uh, from the horse's mouth now. And we all know, you know, Mark worked on the Welcome Full Moon and uh, Shabu Shaba. That was uh, nice of him to yeah. uh, come on the show. Then. Yeah, I just want to clarify because I know, <laughs> you know, sometimes credits on an album don't always reflect who does the work. And I'm not saying mm. that's the case with uh, George and Harry, but sometimes, you know, some people can can heighten their credits and not give as much kudos to those within. So I'm glad Mark clarified that. But, yeah, so, look, from an album sales point of view versus a single sales, I think in excess Trump, ACDC and the singles and hits and stuff like that, and then obviously ACDC sort of Trump uh, in excess on the overall album sales. Now, second thing in terms of differences i'm going to talk about audiences here b (laughs) who's the demographic that acdc have generally appealed to in their audiences over time middle-aged men 
<laughs> yeah. I, I, look, I, I reckon. I reckon if we, I use the word we blokes. We <laughs> <laughs> I, I reckon it was the sixteen-year-old guitar hero, air guitar kid in the bedroom, through to the <laughs> through to the the bloke down the pub with the beer or whatever. But you know, if I'm if if we look at you know in terms of audiences and things like that, I, I think I alluded to earlier. I think NXS probably have a forty percent male, sixty percent female attraction fan base, and I think ACDC would probably be more like 90 percent male, 20 percent female. Yeah. Um, and again, yes, there's outliers and things like that, but I think it's just the reality as it is. Um, you know, they have a style, they have, I guess, a certain sort of uh, way about themselves that really hasn't changed over time. And it probably links to me to my third point, and that is versatility. Angus has always sort of joked tongue in cheek. I think he was asked, oh, you guys have just released the same album for the 11th time. And he goes, no, no, that's not right. It's the 12th time. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, and he uses the analogy about, you know, when you bake a cake and you've got a recipe and it works well, you just keep repeating it. And I don't think ACDC have ever had grandeurs of sort of being the Beatles or, you know, being, um, you know, Pink Floyd or something like that, where they were going to mix up and be versatile. I, I think if there's a weakness in ACDC and a strength, it is sort of versatility. It is that they have one thing that they do really well. Now, fans of this sort of band may come back and say, oh, no, but this was different to that and this was different to that. I think if you just put the naked ear to a lot of their albums, they have this blues backbeat or black, uh, a sound of this sort of uh, rock overtones. You've got, you know, this great right hand in uh, Malcolm. You've got, you know, this um, thundering sort of uh, guitar licks with Angus and you've got the scowling, growling vocals with either Bon or Brian. Yeah. Or even Axel when he came in and sung live on the tours yeah. at the end. So so the reality is that ACDC stick to one thing. And mm. really, end of the day, if you want to argue otherwise, I think it's a bit of a lame argument because, you know, let's look at the album titles. Okay, let's 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 go high voltage. Okay, what does that what does that sort of imply? Sort of <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry, I just can't get the schoolboy image <laughs> out of my head. Can you can you explain why he dresses up in a school uniform? Yes, please. I don't know. I think it goes back to the early days when it was like having a bit of a gimmick and he was he was that young and he put on the uniform one night and live and, and um, Chrissy Amford from the Divinals, she did the equivalent for the female, you know, um, later on. So Yeah, so, but he's like, he's a very old man now. Well, I know, but it's, you know, what is, what is Robert Smith from The Cure still wear that funny makeup when he's about 63? You know, he still plays live. Like I don't know. It's 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 just probably his shtick. You know. Okay. Well, let's look. We'll look at the names of the of the of the albums here. Okay. And I say this with a bit of tongue in cheek. So ACDC fans, don't grill me too hard. High voltage. Well, ACDC high voltage, electricity charged power. Uh, okay. BNT blowing up stuff. Okay. Yeah. Dirty deeds. Okay. <laughs> Implies something a little bit carnal. Okay. Let there be rock. Okay. All right, the real adjective titles, aren't they? Power, age, yeah. Highway to hell, yeah. Okay, back in black, bad. For those about to rock, we salute you. Flick the switch, fly on the wall, blow up your video, razor's edge, ball breaker, stiff upper lip, black ice, rock or bust, (laughs) power up. Now, Mm. listen. I'm listening. I love ACDC. I love the riffs. They're probably the best riffers of all time. Yeah. But I'm not. I'm not going to say that Bob Dylan has ever felt threatened by the lyrical content of ACDC. No. No. So they've always been that primal sort of you know testosterone charged, you know, uh, air guitar, you know, put your fist in the air. And I always fear from a, a fan's point of view, they've been like this alter ego, this guilty pleasure. If you see ACDC at the Grammys in I think 2008. 
they played uh, Highway to Hell. And, you know, the crowd there, you know, you got Lady Gaga and Paul McCartney and Dave Grohl. Everyone's all wearing uh, devil's ears uh, that are all lit up in the audience. It's quite good. <laughs> but, but ACDC are almost like, you know, which sort of leads me to my fourth point from critical respect, you know, et cetera there. I think they've always been given like a, a pass out, like a hall pass. Like yeah. um, I think that the critics like them, but I don't think the critics necessarily criticise them as much as they probably could in the sense that they have one trick and they've never really deviated from it. Yes. And in the pantheon. But they've of, done it well. They've done it well. They've done it unbelievably well. Unbelievably well. And and sometimes being great at one. a lot of other people. <laughs> well, being great at one thing sometimes is easier and then sometimes people say it's harder. I think that they've they've milked the same cow there's sonically and, and instrumentally the same way many times. But, but you know what? They don't give a fuck. They don't care. So they just like what they like and they play it and the world can go piss off. But you know what? It's that attitude that I think attracts this sort of fandom along oh, no, with the music they're themselves. Feeding- yeah, they're feeding what the fans, their fans want, yeah, that's isn't right. it? It's yeah, not that they're true. saying piss off. They're, yeah. they're, they're giving their fans what they want. Whereas in excess fans, if we're having a verse, we, we, like, the, we like the creativity that they bring. And they're, they're, they're trying different things, always pushing something different. Or well, look, work. you know, if, if ACDC came out like Metallica did with an orchestral sort of uh, thing on stage or did a Yes progressive album and did 14-minute sort of gratuitous sort of uh, Yes-type solo keyboard things or put keyboards in their sound like Van Halen did, I think the fans would absolutely revolt. Yeah, they would. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. So so I guess from a versatility point of view, you know, In Excess probably have been measured artistically on that particular uh, level more so and as a band they've probably got more palettes more um, colors and shades and tones and sonics that they want to explore in their sound base and if you looked at the quilt of all their albums and list them uh, put them all out and and had all the sounds come through there's a, a greater versatility and it's probably why I just like them better is because I love music and I love different sounds mm-hmm. and Inexus seem to encapsulate that that's right. But it's equal to their own. There are fans out there who just love ball buster, four to the floor, gritty, but dirty hated. guitar rock, swampy blues guitar rock, and that's why they stick with ACDC. So it's each to their own. Yeah. And uh, perhaps men don't feel threatened by looking at them than they do looking at Michael. Well, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, I reckon. I reckon. What's, what's, that, what's that expression? You know, that turn for someone, or maybe there's probably there's there's the saying that there were women who wanted to, uh, yes, uh, you know, with Michael, and there were men who wanted to be him. Buy him a drink. Uh, yeah, no, well, yeah. be him, and then maybe even take Have a, a drink with him. Or yeah, exactly. Yeah, and but but you know, I, no, there's anything wrong with that. Would I go to an ACDC concert? <laughs> Yes, probably. Yes, I would. I would. I would. I would. And would I enjoy it? Yeah, I would. And I probably want to go again. I think the aggressiveness. I think I'd think I'd go overload on aggressiveness if if I went to a concert. Yeah, it's not in me. Yeah. Mm, I I mean, for me, I I I probably like. Over the years of listening to ACDC, I probably like the Bond era better than the uh, the Brian Johnson era. Mm. I just think that um, the sounds and the songs and the the riffs and probably the vocals I like. There's more there's more Bond songs I like than Brian songs, and that the fact that they don't play a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll at all. Like I'd go to the cons for that song alone, but the fact that they don't play it is a sort of almost they've 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 
benched it because of respect for Bond. I'm like, well, just yeah. bring it out, you know, like yeah. play it because uh, it's such a great song. So, so. But, um, but also yeah. thinking about it, you know, I I haven't listened to a lot of all their album tracks, and suppose hmm. there may be, and there probably is, a lot of beautiful tracks that they they haven't. I've never heard so. Perhaps I should listen to a little bit more of Akadaka. Would say you're right, B, but there are a lot of ball breaking tracks. I don't know if the word beautiful would come up. No, (laughs) but but there there are, and I have listened to a lot of them. And as a kid, there was some very questionable ones. Like there's a song called "She's Got the Jack." Um, Right. (laughs) Yes, Um, and uh, I remember as a 13 year old listening to that in my mate's bedroom. And she's got the jack. <laughs> and, and we were like, okay, mom, what's the jack? <laughs> um, anyway, uh, we're working with blue today, aren't we? But... You mean this one? She's got the jack. She's got the jack. Mm, it was a bad deal. She gave me the jack. Yeah. She's got the She's got the She's got the Ooh, Can't you tell she's got the That was a bit naughty, wasn't it? <laughs> But, but uh, I mean, I think I got a little bit frightened when I was 16 and seeing some well, of the fans of Akadaka. <laughs> ACDC are part of the thrill and the journey is that they were dangerous. They are dangerous. They're that badass mm. sort of, you know, don't bring them home to your mother. Badass. Type. Yeah. Well, well yeah. yeah. Bad motherfuckers. Don't bring them home to your mother type band. Um, I think my mum screamed. You could imagine. Get you could imagine your daughter. You could imagine that your bloody mother would want you to bring Michael home because she'd want to bonk him too. Yeah, gosh, yes. Well, we <laughs> Michael do. would be very welcome in every household in Australia, you know. And he would charm the hell out of the mothers, wouldn't he? Absolutely. And have a cup of tea with them in the morning. Correct. Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, all right, a couple of little differences just to finish off. I think lyrically, as I said, you know, look, ACDC are meat and potatoes and three veg, you know, when it comes to their lyrics. They're, there's nothing men's or sort of too sort of Dylan-esque with or them. Or a sausage and two veg. <laughs> Absolutely. But, yeah, so they're, they're pretty much, you know, the words rock and power and, you know, and uh, uh, balls and stiff up. I mean, they're all... They're all stiff <laughs> these, they're, they're very, they're, these are the sort of very basic sort of, you know, phrasing-type yeah. lyrics that come out with. With. And mm. again, they suit. They sit on top of the of the uh, of the layer of music really well. And as I said, you don't go to an ACDC concert by an album really ultimately for the lyrics too much. You go there for the riffs. You go there for the theatrics. You go there for the visual. You listen to you know the the the, the, power. the, the power and the and the, the music <laughs> behind it. The, the lyrics yeah. are really are an add-on to serve the music as opposed to sort of. Uh, the music served the lyrics. And probably the last thing, just the difference is, that unfortunately, uh, NXS aren't in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and ACDC deservedly are. 
Yes. But um, only um, just though. It's only been the uh, last couple of years. I think they got in in 2003. I think. I think they've been in for a while. Yeah. No, they've been in for a while, and 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 deservedly uh, just and justifiably deserved to be Mm -hmm. so. So there's no no doubt about that. I think. Look, they haven't won many Grammys. Only won a couple of Grammys late in their career. In excess has only been nominated for three Grammys. Um, In excess won a bunch of MTV awards. Probably ACDC didn't. But you know, ultimately the the difference. You know, that last bit is there. We'd love to see In excess join them in the Hall of Fame at some yeah. point and be really that sort of second homegrown sort of uh, Australian band get in uh, yeah. because it's something that's uh, missing, the only thing missing on their resume, really. That's right. I guess, as I said, you know, for those ACDC listeners listening for the first time, we hope you've enjoyed sort of us waffling on. As I said, we've tried to dive deep a bit into some of the information that you you guys would probably undoubtedly know. For some of our In Excess fans who are on this podcast, hopefully, you know, we've uh, highlighted another great Australian sort of iconic band. And there's a good article the other day, just as a sideline, B, about is ACDC really Australian? Because if you look back at yeah, the band now and who's in the band, where were they born and who's in the band now and who's not in the band and things like that. But I think the band themselves more than anything see themselves as Australian because this is the country that that gave them their start, gave them yeah. their albums, gave them their, their journey. And Malcolm passed away here and lives here. You know, Angus still lives here, you know, part of the year and part of the year, I think, in Holland. There's this legacy with the band coming out of this environment that really without it, they wouldn't have got there. And I know both in excess, you know, to tie it all off and ACDC are very proud Australians. And, you know, I know as a music fan, I'm proud to have them represent our country globally and have people suddenly look at our our market as a place where great talent comes out of. And since their ascent, you know, we've seen bands like Crowded House and Midnight Oil and, you know, Savage Garden and uh, Tame Impala, um, you know, all get Powder sort of finger. recognition. Pardon? Powderfinger. Powderfinger. Well, maybe not internationally, locally, absolutely. Mm. But on a global sort of level, you know, we've seen some of our, our artists um, be inspired by both these bands and, and taking their success overseas. And, um, you know, I, I guess as we always say, it's not just uh, the songs, it's not just work ethic, it's also ambition. And I, yeah. I think just to tie it all up, you know, they both were ambitious uh, that drove them to success. And uh, for those about to all rock, we salute you. This is Felicia Marie from Carmadale. This is Foxy from San Francisco. This is Amory All right, B. Well, that's a, a wrap. We've made it through sort of the first episode of the new year, episode 35. Uh, we hope uh, the ACDC guest listeners who have come on have enjoyed uh, what we've done so far uh, and maybe stick around, you know, for future episodes because, uh, you know, it's not just, a, you know, a, a one-band sort of discussion. We love music. We love, you know, uh, music of the, the late 70s through to the 90s and 2000s, and ACDC were, were at the forefront of a lot of that and inspired a lot of bands. Um I guess, uh, B, throwing to you, we've got a couple of new segments that we're going to be slipping in this year, aren't we? We've done a bit of a, uh, a production meeting and we've got, I think we've already done one last week, a little beeline, was that right? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, well, the patrons got a little taste of the beeline. I thought yeah. that was quite a fun little segment that I yeah. could just throw in and give you a little bit of time off. So, yeah, I've got a few um, people up my sleeve ready. I've done a few. So friends of and people that have worked with NXS that want to have a chat with um, myself and maybe I might get in a few patrons as well just to jolly it along. Yeah. Um, because there yeah, might be some, there's some people that, you know, can add some value and love our podcast. Maybe they're not 
big ticket sort of, you know, Mark Opitz, Nick Egan type guests in the sense that they've got a career to tell. And I'm not saying oh, that. To, to, but I've got some diminish. special ones though, don't you worry. But there's some great interesting people who have got there stories to tell. Oh, juicy, so, juicy. <laughs> <laughs> so we're looking looking forward to that. And also too, we've had some really good feedback. I know Danielle and some other people have emailed in some segment ideas or some mm. topic ideas and um, some of these stuff, you know, we're definitely contemplating and looking at and, and adding. So, you know, we like this uh, podcast to evolve and not every topic or segment we do the same every week or do every week, but uh, we want to keep engaging and keeping things a little bit unpredictable. Um, yeah, keep and- them coming and send them to the um, in excess access all areas email, which is in excess AA gmail.com. No AU. <laughs> no AU. <laughs> All right. Now, there was a competition, oh, uh, uh, I guess an extension hanging over the Christmas period. We have uh, at the time of uh, release of this podcast, uh, I would look at that as being about 16 days. Where If you've got any patron referrals, B, there is yes. a copy of what? A uh, Nick Egan? Is that what we're giving out? Yes, we've got a print of the alternate kick cover of um, uh, from Nick Egan, who actually um, produced that album, for, not produced the album, but produced the artwork for the album. And he's kindly done us another print. There's only be five. Wow. You and I have got one each. And then there's a couple more. If you've got a, a, a family member or a mate or a colleague or someone who loves music, introduce yes. them. Okay. You know what? Two or three new patrons might get you the, the rarefied uh, kick album release cover. So we'd love to engage with more listeners out there. Okay. All right. Uh, tribute going out today, B. We're going to do a couple hang of things. Hang on. Hang on. I've got a couple of engagers I'd like to speak oh, about. Oh, whoops. Okay. Whoops. Whoopsie. Sorry. Whoopsie. Sorry. Let me just Far slip away. this in here. <laughs> Take control. All right. So I've got a couple of engagers from Twitter, actually. We haven't spoken about Twitter much. There's a page or a person, I don't know, called MaxQAU. And uh, they um, retweet all our um, tweets and very engaging. Thank you very, very much. I'd love you to come on board and be a patron. <laughs> was this, the, was this the gentleman who was talking about that maybe a, a certain Mr. Murphy won't want to release it? Mm, <laughs> yeah. Is that oh, one who got to be controversial? Then. Yeah, yeah. Yes. well, look, yeah. we, we don't play favourites on this podcast, Mr. Murphy. Come on, get off your butt and release it. Give the proceeds to give the proceeds to Tiger, okay? And uh, you know, Michael from uh, up above would uh, shine a light down on us and you. There we go. Yeah, and um, a couple of others. Um, there is a Daryl Brown and a Chris Allen. I'd like to say hi to you guys too. So thank you for being so engaging for us. Excellent. We love hearing and knowing who you are and what you bring into the table. All right. Well, uh, we're going to go out today with a bit of a tribute song uh, again for our ACDC guests. This is a song that's never played live. I don't think it's been played live oh, maybe oh, only oh, once. Oh, I need to tell you the story about this song. Oh, no, I can't. I can't. Why? What? Because then it'll give it away. Hang on. This is a tribute song, not a cover song. Correct. (laughs) So (laughs) we we can tell everybody what it is, okay? But I know this song has resonance for you, but I'll give a quick little backdrop. This was one of the first ever videos released in Australia via the show Countdown, which was a famous Australian show. The song is called A Long Way to the Top. It is a rock anthem. It's a song that I know In Excess Love and were inspired by. The film clip is still inspirational. I love it. It's 1976 Melbourne with a lorry truck going down Swanston Street. The band are riffing away on bagpipes and guitars to the to the anthem of a song. 
This song still is my favourite, okay? And it's a song that I believe, B has some other resonance for you, be it motorbikes as well. Is that right? <laughs> no, push bikes. Push actually. bikes, okay. Melbourne push Star. <laughs> I should say push. mountain bikes. Mountain, mountain bikes, bikes. okay. A bit more, a bit more. Okay. Um, not for me, but it's a lot of pain for my husband. So he went on a, a, a trip around Australia and this was the song that actually motivated them every morning, be it like probably five o'clock in the morning, going up a mountain and this is what they had to hear. Yeah. Take it away, Hayden. Well, uh, before we do, I will say one, right. little, one, one more little thing. It was quite funny. Uh, in, our, in our version of our football here in Australia, the finals that get played play our national anthem, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, which used to be God Save the Queen, now it's Advanced Australia Fair, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, the guy who handles the audio at the MCG was introduced basically by the ground announcer say, everybody be upstanding for the Australian national anthem. Then you heard this down out, down out. And then he's like, whoops, wrong one. And then he actually put on the right one. <laughs> so take it away. This is our rock national anthem. This is our uh, podcast national anthem. A long yes. way to the top if yes. you want a sausage roll. <laughs> Can I get ketchup? And it's a goodbye from me. And it's a goodbye from B. Bye, everyone. <laughs>
And here's the little nugget of how to make gravy. Bye again. Gonna miss Roger Cause there's sure as hell no one